0: Welcome. Welcome to Conversations and Compassion, a podcast by Dignity Main, a program of Agape, and made possible by the contributions to Agape. Thank you. This is a different podcast. Instead of interviews, we have conversations. This is my attempt to demonstrate examples what I call Compassion Conversation. Through these conversations, I hope to address the discord in our families, in our communities, and in ourselves. And Finally, to focus on the greatest need of our time, the need for compassion. So it's an amazing conversation with Glenn at a time in this community We're all sort of doing some evaluation about what is, what is true? What is it that we need to take from the message of the mass shooting? So what I loved about this uh, podcast that I'd love you to listen to is that, uh, you know, how uh, Glenn articulates this idea of The loneliness that we experience, the epidemic of it, and how something like this will even make us more fearful, more hopeless. And in fact, what we need to do is to take a breath and lean towards connection, lean towards love, lean towards outside of our comfort zone, and just to listen deeply to our fellow travelers. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you, Glenn, for doing this with me. Uh, you know, what inspired me to ask you was that you just did this uh, thought about mental health based on what's been happening in our community and particularly around the shooting and the loss of life in Lewiston you started thinking about the issues of mental health and so I'm open to hearing what, what you found as you went to write that voice.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me here, Steve. Um, first of all, I want to say, you know, as a, a uh, faculty member at the university of Southern Maine and, and, uh, administrator there for the last eight years, um, felt like it really hit very hard, the mass shooting. Um, and, uh we lost three alumni uh, and uh, people that were affiliated with the university. And I knew one of them uh, quite well, the man who was a translator uh, and a part-time teacher for us, Joshua. And um, it was obviously, as a as a multi-generation Mainer, it hit me very hard. And mm. uh, I think uh, I'm not alone in that. I know so many people who felt the same way, so many of my students and so many of my colleagues. Um, so it did uh, ask me i think intuitive and implicitly what can you do uh that might be helpful and one thing is the discussion around mental health um obviously the man who did this uh, was in severe mental health crisis and um and also had access to firearms and and a number of the criteria uh some misuse perhaps of of um you know, alcohol as well. But all of those things, um, it's complex in terms of how it affects Mm -hmm. um, our perception of mental health. And Mm -hmm. it's uh, something that I wanted to be very, very careful about. Um, I think there's one major theme, among others, in the column that we put forward that uh, the Press Herald has agreed to put uh, put out. And first of all is that people have to understand that, that of all the violent crimes that are committed in America uh, under 5% of them are connected with people with, um, with mental illness so that they're less likely Than than most, especially uh, not 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 including the sort of the extreme ends of mental illness, but certainly the vast majority of people who struggle with depression and anxiety and uh, and even suicidal ideations, uh, they're more likely to be victims of violence than they are likely to be, in fact, uh, perpetrating it. So. Uh, So that was one message that I felt needed to get across. And the other one is the magnitude of our problems as a society. I I actually didn't understand the depth of the Mm -hmm. data. Uh, 28 to 29% of people saying in the last year, um, anxiety, depression, um, sense of loneliness, um, despair, uh, influenced and impacted their workability, for example, and mm. impacted their daily lives. Um, so that struck me. Um, if you add on people with, as we were just talking about, people with more severe diagnoses, uh, that that number is almost a third of Americans that mm. are struggling in some way. So it's mm. not one out of five. It's really, mm. all told, um, you know, 30% of our population. And that uh, that is... Um, very unsettling. And so I wondered if, is there any hope out there? What is, you know, what's mm. going on out there that mm. could be helpful to understand beyond the fact that let's not throw everybody who has um, some some kind of mental distress into a category where they're violent. Let's be careful about uh, discerning that. And I think most Americans would be, but we don't want to make it more difficult for people
0: to um, come in and ask for help. Right. And one of the things that you're trying to say right from the beginning is that this uh, violent situation in Lewiston was not directly related to mental health. And let's not make it a mental health issue. Yes, that was a component. But let's not say that the reason this happened was because there's a mental health breakdown in this country. And let's blame all those kind of mass mass shootings on uh, on mental illness,
1: we have to be really careful of that. I think. I mean, I'm not a clinical psychologist by any means. Uh, I work now for a foundation that that uh, specializes particularly in giving f- money to mental health issues as well as other other things. But um, but certainly not an expert in that area. But it does seem like um, it, it should be underscored. That there are other factors going mm-hmm. on here besides mm-hmm. the mental illness, so mm-hmm. we have to be careful not to write this off as merely, um, you know, he he happened to have a, a bad diagnosis and nobody reached out to him. So, so that's one component I think that we should come to terms with. And I think the other thing that we see um, is really. You see some signs of hope. Um, people like you who are doing men's groups, for example, and you're doing, um, you know, what's called motivational interviewing, which are really respectful of your client. You know that you're you're saying. You have the answers. How can I help you walk through those and, and, and be with you, be shoulder to shoulder with you, not you know follow everything I do? Um, I think those are the things that actually are exciting or interesting and helpful about mental health um, as as we're seeing some progress. The other thing we're seeing is things like main behavioral health now is trying to do much more of a peer supported case managed, highly integrated approach from multiple angles of people getting kind of the kind of resources that they need in order to be able to. uh you know to to get healing as fast as possible and as well as possible so there's a new approach there obviously philanthropy i think does help um i think in the case of our foundation is particularly interested in healthcare physicians getting expanding the pipeline and and growing that pipeline of people who are aware of psychiatric issues for example psych uh, nurse uh, nurse practitioners with a psychiatric background um some of the work that we did up at new and level, but the real interesting thing um, came from you, where you said, "I said it's got to go deeper than just how we heal people. What's causing all this?" As they say in race theory, if you see one dead fish on the lake, you say, "Well, you know, must have had a you know unfortunate run-in with a, a motorboat or something." If you wake up and see ten thousand dead fish out on the lake. Um, which at, at almost 30% people, um, you mm. know, describing themselves as having some mental distress in the last year that's severe enough to impact their daily living. We have to ask, why are there 10,000 fish out on the lake? Yeah, And that is a groundwater problem, right? Yeah. And so what's the groundwater? And I think, you know, you, you more than anybody were able to point out to me. Why don't you listen to the Surgeon General? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I said, "Well, I never thought of going to the top medical officer, well, that sounds interesting." And uh, I was immediately hooked. I listened to uh, his podcast probably three or four times uh, on, on Being, because what he laid out is not a diagnosis of how we improve cardiological help, or you know, uh, you know, uh, you know how we should exercise more, and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know how we should mm-hmm. uh, avoid. Uh, You know, lots of carbohydrates and sugar, Uh, all the things that probably are accurate, but not very deep. And Mm -hmm. um, what he said is at a time of massive disruption, and it was really powerful for me to hear the Surgeon General say, massive disruption in Mm -hmm. our society. he said in the last decade, Mm -hmm. almost certainly in the last two decades, but even since the iPhone of 2009, the change in how we transfer money. Mm. How we communicate, Mm. why and how we eat, how we order and Mm. eat. How do Mm. we order products? How do we avoid shopping if we don't want to do shopping? How do we Mm. avoid each other if we want to avoid each other? Mm. Um, Mm. uh, How does work fundamentally change? You know, people sitting in in their homes in Juneau, Alaska, that work for some work organization in St. Louis. Uh, This is a new world that never existed before. Right. And, uh, and on top of that, uh, an enormous amount of international and national political turmoil and, and cultural turmoil. So he said massive disruption, which he said change is not always bad, but it's scary, mm. even when it's good. Mm. And we need each other, even mm. when it's good. And in this mm. case, not all of it's good. And he begins to get into something, as, as you know, around how little we actually talk to each other. Right. How little time we spend getting together in small groups, big groups or one on one saying, are you really doing what's really going on for you? You know, and um, and people being able rather than to say, oh, it's the Democrats fault. It's the uh, it's the leftist fault. It's the right wing. They are nutcase. Those they're really all racist. And instead of saying that, what what, um, you know, Surgeon General Murphy was saying is. When you look at the data, people are saying, I'm scared, Mm. I'm lonely, Mm.
0: I have a sense of despair, Mm. a sense of powerlessness. What am I doing? Right. And this epidemic of loneliness that he would call it is so severe and that people really need each other as part of the human condition. So we have this very, very powerful schism, if you will, a, a gap between what people need and what is actually happening in their lives.
1: Pointedly right now in human history, right? When you're, you're dealing with seismic disruption, yeah, we need each other more than ever. And what he's saying is actually in our dialogue is fractured, it's ruptured, it's broken. Uh, and so our ability to do that at a time when we most need it, why we're most desperate, uh, seems to be uh, limited, warped, uh, uh, you know, disjointed, as he says.
0: And in that context, what we've got is that the the social capital of the, the fibers that have moved us together in generations in the past are falling apart and that we don't have new ones. So we're in this place of isolation and loneliness and, and basic uh, commitment to uh, staying to yourself and uh, taking care of yourself and and then it comes into the mind where the mind starts to being judgmental of others. And then we start to be create these schisms, if you will, again, uh, between people and in relationships and in families. And, and you love, I love what you said, which is one third, one third of the people who are suffering with what they would say is a serious mental illness that is impacting their life. And I say serious in the sense that it is interfering in their lives. Yeah, that's that it is interfering,
1: and it's interfering the people around them's lives. Uh, you know, we had a super majority in that study that said I could name somebody mm. in my family or close friend network mm. that is struggling with this. Mm. And many of us, I would include myself, could name three, four. Huh. Okay. People um, that are struggling with, um, you know, really anxiety that's affecting their work, um, mm-hmm. you know, a sense of depression, a sense of hopelessness, etc. So
0: Yeah. And what he was also talking about is this isn't just about our mental health. This is about our health. Mm-hmm. And he was saying the quality and quantity of our lives is directly related to connection. Right.
1: Right. That's right, and and he actually gives some great little suggestions on how to actually connect. And one thing that I particularly liked was he he said, take fifty minutes every day, Mm -hmm. not with a family member, right? Because he said you know a lot of times people think oh I just have my family to depend on and I don't have anybody else. He said you know a lot of times just call and listen to them, talk Mm -hmm. to them, Mm -hmm. and and he talks about the importance of listening. He said there's no more powerful gift than that you can give to another human being mm. than to honestly give them your full attention right. as best you can, your full attention. And it's interesting because he, he even caveated that and saying, you know, if you're feeling depressed and anxious, you might say, well, shouldn't people be reaching out to me? And he's saying, actually, the giver and the receiver both benefit. So hop in as much as you can do. Right. You know, Try to do that. Even if you're feeling
0: depressed, try to connect with another human being. And how powerful that is to do 15 minutes to reach out of your circle to somebody that you care about and just give them full attention, listening deeply. Now, this has all impacted you. You have so much energy about this. (laughs) I I have a lot of questions. (laughs) I don't have a lot of answers, unfortunately. But it's impacted you. Yeah. Yeah. In some way. So tell me about that. You know, um, first
1: of all, as I said, I could probably name two or three people that kind of, you know, that Mm. are are relatively close to me that uh, are impacted, that are feeling some of these same kind of strains, Um, and so that there's a certain part of me that's really uh, affected. But the other piece is the mass shooting, and uh, Mm. you know, for me, it opens up kind of the uh, kind of a river of pain a little bit, like you know. It certainly makes me feel a little lost, um, mm. you know. A little, you know. Just, uh, I'm very lucky to have a lot of friends, but when I think about, um, you know, that this could happen, that we could lose people so quickly, mm. suddenly, even having friends feels a little um, risky because mm. you can lose people so quickly. And mm. um, and so, all of those things matter, but there's also that sense of hopelessness and powerlessness. And so, you know, I kind of had to do a little bit of my own solitude, which which Murthy recommends and says. You know, take that time to be by yourself because it increases your gratitude. If you're, if you're not just trying to, you know, focus on reading the newspaper by yourself, but to focus and just be alone and comfortable with yourself, take a little time. I took a little time, and I said, well, maybe you know, we we do a lot in our foundation around mental health. Maybe I could ask somebody from Maine Behavioral Health to join me, somebody with clinical practice, and Mm -hmm. and he, of course, uh, you know, he's uh, I don't don't know him. I don't know Jason Rosenberg well, but He's very very in tune to this and I said how about we take this in a weird direction mm. let's go let's go with where the surgeon general's saying I said I've just had a therapist recommend this this uh, man Steve uh, who's in the in the community he rec- when I called him and said what would you do he said listen to the surgeon general and he said great idea <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah it energizes me um basically because I think the world right now needs a lot of healing yeah um, I think you know um. I've been so blessed in my own journey to have people around me that Mm. have given me inspiration, um, guidance at the right moments in my Mm -hmm. life, a Mm -hmm. sense of support, a sense of camaraderie. And um, I actually, it makes me actually one of the things that that occurred is my own gratitude Mm. for all of those things at a deeper level. Like Mm -hmm. when people say, you know, I feel lonely and I think, you know, I'm so blessed to have the friends I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and can see them on a regular basis, and mm-hmm. and live in a community that's relatively tight knit
0: uh, here in Portland. So, yeah. you said something, you know, just a little bit. Uh, you, with the with this mass shooting, with this moment, you could feel the fear. You could feel the hopelessness that uh, that was a part of you, and then, that that you wanted to sit with in a way. And then there was another part of you that was just really grateful for the people in your life. And you wanted to let them know. And you could feel that duality. That's right.
1: That's right. And it is a duality in some sense, but it all it all makes sense to me in the larger picture, um, that you, you feel that pain, uh, especially in a place like Maine, where so many people are one degree of separation from right. each other, so right. to speak, as we say. And um, So there's definitely that pain and that risk and that, um, you know, the sense of powerlessness, Uh, especially I think a lot of Americans on all sides of the political spectrum feel powerless about these mass shootings. Mm. Right. So, Mm. so, you know, and people will jump one side of the other to Mm -hmm. there's a solution. Um, Yeah. And, And certainly. We can argue mental health is an issue. We can certainly argue that that access to guns are an issue. No question. So, I don't want to even get deep into that debate. I mean, both are true. Um, but I think the the bigger question is, what as a collective, what's the right thing for the for the common welfare? And is there are there some answers? And it starts with us, right? I it doesn't start with let's go do a lot of big policy. It it may end there, and it certainly has to be part of the solution. But it starts with. Well, how do I treat people? You know, when I get caught up in traffic, my first reaction isn't, let's go give people a hug. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So so how do do I kind of breathe through that and say, yeah, I'm angry, but, you know, I've done the same at some time in my life. So, you know.
0: Right. And they're going through whatever they're going through. Right. And I can hold them with great compassion and radical acceptance. And uh, I don't need to react to them. and. It was an interesting when you said uh, that the, the focus, you know, the focus will be on mental health. That, that, that broken mental health system is why this uh, mass shooting happened, that, that Robert, uh, you know, had serious mental illness. So, therefore, he didn't get the treatment he needed, and therefore, that's the problem. And then there will be people that will say, no, he had access. He had access to guns. And that is the problem. And then we'll divide each other. But there's a third factor. And the third factor is, they're all these are men. And boys. And that 98% of all the mass shootings were done by men. And if you talk about a group that's lonely if you talk about a group that's suffering and that is a, not on the table as a conversation.
1: It raises that big question. And I know you've spent so much of your career trying to heal men. Right. Um, you know, I know that, um, you know, the, the, um, the tools and the resources of being together, mm. um, to solving common problems, not feeling alone, feeling like there's a connection, uh, is a big part of this. There, You know, there's obviously some kind of petri dish, some kind of groundwater problem. Yeah. <laughs> why are white men particularly, not not yeah. always just white men, but it's why are they um, so hurt, so mm. angry, so disconnected? Um, mm. You know, and certainly the messages of, uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm walking on soft ground. <laughs> I'm not a clinical psychologist, but in my own experience, you know, growing right up on. in a Maine high school in the 1970s, First of all, you know, the, the role of homophobia. Right? Yeah. So I was only if I walked by a book of poetry, uh, you know, people assumed I was, you know, gay or something, which which, you know, at this point in my life, I would be very happy to say if I were. But 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 at that point, it was terrifying to mm. me. And mm. uh, and obviously society has changed so when you think about like suddenly I had to become less of a man. And I had to become less of a man. I'm like, well, you know, I don't don't really like poetry. I might, you know, look at it once in a while. And no, I would never paint a watercolor painting or never write a poem myself or, you know, Mm, those kind mm. of things, um, you know, begin to limit. They just put us into a tighter and tighter box. Mm. You know, uh, somebody said that by the time you get through, you know, the gauntlet of terror of medical school and high school, if you're an American male, you've allowed, you're allowed two emotions, nothing. Or anger, right? Right, and that's really where most men are. Uh, Sadly, I'll just speak for myself. I don't. I'm not Mm. not in a place to talk about where most men are. But a lot of men I know have expressed to me that Mm. same kind of kind of narrow box which we can easily get ourselves into.
0: It's almost like an emotional prison. Yeah, I think that's right. And then how do you love well? How do you do what the Surgeon General is talking about in terms of connection? When you feel this kind of tightness around this emotional box, you know, what we're saying is recommending is that you pick up the phone and you call somebody in your life that's just beyond your family Mm -hmm. and you just have a 15 minute conversation that is totally against the box you just said. Right. Right. That's
1: exactly right. Those aren't the foothills. Those are the mountains for a lot (laughs) of us. Like, wait wait a minute, an intimate conversation with another man? This is is tough. Uh, No question. Um, Uh,
0: And and it's not only tough, it's unskillful. It's like, I don't know how to do it. It's not that so I don't so want to. You go back do it. to you
1: know how you think about the Patriots this <laughs> <That's> year. <right. laughs> uh, you know it's hard to say how you how you really doing. You know I I know you're struggling. I know your mother's sick. You know what is how's that affecting you? Mm. You know those are mm. harder conversations uh, for men to have. Um, I was really encouraged when you said that more men are coming to men's group. Mm. Um, that they are they're trying to think about you know ways that they can connect with other men because they feel really lonely. And as you say the feeling of being, I think, um, you know, a man in America, but it, this, these are larger cultural messages too, but I think they land on men, particularly in a very tight squeeze. Um, mm. this message is about, I need to be a community success. I need to be mm. I, a financial success. I need to be a romantic success. I, you know, these are the things that I need. And if I don't have them, I feel really, you know, I'm not, there's something wrong with me, hey, et cetera. Right. And, the, Emphasis and in, in all of those are healthy desires, right? We yeah. want, we want a, a good partner. We want to be financially reasonably secure, secure. Uh, we certainly want to have some community recognition. Those are all legitimate, but if there's not something else, something deeper, and this is my mm. experience, some kind of North star too, that's guiding you. Mm. Um, you it's not going to work to make you a happy person. And uh, as my friend Richard Rohr, not my friend, but my, my favorite author. I, don't, I met him once. I don't think he's my friend. But uh, <laughs> anyway, but uh, I love, love his, you know, he says, you know, the great thing about life is by the time you're 40 or 45, something's going to knock you off that path. And you've got to figure out how to get back on there. There's going to be something that's going to happen it may be actually something good you might get promoted and you're just not ready for it right Mm -hmm. and so things Mm -hmm. go awry or maybe a divorce it may be cancer it may be alcoholism it may be loss of a child but something is going to hit you Mm. and it's going to make you rethink who and what you are and to that extent you know i think you um you know you, you will have to kind of find a set of tools that are deeper than I want to just get the next promotion or I want to become, uh, you know, the president of the local university or whatever the, whatever the goal is, um, that is going to force you into a deeper place, um, by definition. And Mm. and that's actually good news. That's why I love the name of his book, Falling Upward. (laughs) You know, you think you're falling down, but in fact,
0: you're starting to fall in a different direction. Yeah, well, I love, I love this, uh, this concept as we sort of finish up about, you know, that it's going to come and it's going to, you know, that the whole methodology of success and then you're just running on it and running on it and that somewhere there's going to be a break and that break is going to ask you to move from success to significance, which is about love which is about that deep yearning that was always there.
1: And I'm glad you used the word love <clears throat> because one of the things I, I really liked about what uh, Surgeon General Murphy Murphy was saying, he said, love is the opposite of what we think. For men, the word love feels scary and vulnerable sometimes. I'll say it for myself mm-hmm. again. Um, and, and he said, it's actually strongest human quality that exists he said think of a parent's love for a child mm. think of a soldier who jumps on a hand grenade to save his comrades because mm. he loves them mm. he said is there anything that could compete with that for strength right. nothing no machine gun no muscles nothing could compete with that for uh, its strength and its quality and its and its beauty as well and i thought wow love Love. We don't talk about that. You know, here's right. the Surgeon General of the United States saying, "Don't forget love, because that's really what this is all about." You know, and so it's not about your next promotion. It's not about uh, having the the best looking spouse you can have. It's not about necessarily looking, even at uh, community commitment and, and uh, accolades for helping the community. It is about love, and as you say, significance. Significance is what's my significance? Is how much do I love? Yeah. Uh, and that that is really um i'm so glad that that you pointed me in that direction because it allowed me to think about yep that's really where we're going if you want if you want a good life move in that direction
0: <laughs> that 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 15 minutes that you talked about to reach out to really listen deeply to another human being seems like not much but it is the pathway it is the pathway out of Mass shootings. It is the pathway out of the one third of the people struggling with something that interferes in their lives every day.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It is the pathway.
1: Yeah, simple, straightforward, and challenging. But as you say, you need to you need to accept the fact that it's going to feel vulnerable. It's going to be scary, and yet it's the most tough thing you can do. Is the the strongest thing you can do?
0: Well, thank you. Thank you thank you so so much for this conversation much appreciate you as well thank you for listening to today's conversation and i hope you enjoyed it if you like what you hear please consider subscribing to apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever else you find your podcasts i'd like to give a heartfelt thanks to all the contributors to agape inc for their support in making this podcast possible. If you care to join us, please go to DignityMaine.com to get involved. Thank you. Thank you again for being here. And take good care.